Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday, and you know what that means, hobby hustle. This time, I got Ryan Johnson, Card Collector 2. He is someone I've been following ever since I got back in the hobby. Love his content. Just one of those good dudes who constantly gives back. Card store owner. He is deeply invested in the hobby and in the community. We talk about his mindset, national experience. You got to go to trade night. A lot of ground covered. I'm going to say it right here. I think he is one of the best marketers that we have in the hobby. I love what he's doing. Are you getting the weekly rip? If you're not, sign up. Link is in my IG bio and show notes, dropping every Friday. I'll shut up for now. Let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I'm excited about this conversation. I am joined by someone who I've been following for a while ever since I've been back in the hobby, first time on the show. A lot of fun conversation in this one. I'm joined by Ryan, Card Collector 2. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Not bad. I have been, before we hopped on, I was, uh, I think you just dropped a new uh, vlog from Dallas. I've been following you on YouTube. You've been on quite the ringer. Dallas to Atlanta. I think you were in Boston before that. And then on yeah. to the national. So a lot of traveling. How has it been for you so far? Uh, it's been great, right? We, uh, we were in Boston for a couple of days for uh, the Causeway Card Show. That was fun. They did a heck of a job with that. So that was really cool to go out there. And uh, I've been out there to Boston before and I love that city. So that was a, that was a blast. And then Dallas and Atlanta was, was fun. Super productive. A lot of buying. But just like that really was exhausting, right? You know, we'd been in Boston for three days and hadn't really had much time to get caught up. You know, we got back late Sunday from that and then left early Thursday morning for Dallas and then was in Dallas till, you know, Saturday morning. And we had to get up at 4.30 a.m. to catch an Uber, fly to Atlanta, then was on a panel, then recorded a video with Sports Car Investor and then went to the show and then went to Top Golf. And, you know, it was 19 hour day. And then was in Atlanta till like, 8.55 Sunday night and then got home from Columbus about, you know, midnight and already back this week, just preparing for the national. So it's just been, uh, it's been fun, super productive, but just exhausting it. We kind of knew that going in that July was going to be a crazy month, especially because basically, you know, the end of the month is going to be the national. So kind of had that expectation going in, but doesn't really make it any easier, right? It's just uh, so much travel and so much going on and, nine days really three cities four flights you know nine days i'm uh i'm starting to feel it at this point yeah no i i, I appreciate the breakdown I, i'd just be curious i know you go into like travel like that and you know you as a business owner and operator um someone who's buying selling trading someone who's creating content as well like when you're when you're like on the plane and you're like approaching these cities to land and get in the mix and go to the show, like, do you have any uh, like specific goals at these shows or um, like what's your what's your mindset going into each of these shows? 
Um, honestly, I don't really have any like super specific goals, right? Obviously, I would love to be able to go there and spend money and like buy, you know, I'm sitting next to 18 of piles like these and from Dallas where we bought an absolute ton. But Atlanta, we didn't do as much of that. So obviously, I would love to be able to buy more because that's where we make so much of our money. But it's not always about buying the inventory. So if, you know, if we can go, the big thing is just making it a worthwhile trip, right? Being productive, whether that is buying or creating content or networking. There's a lot of potential at these shows because so many people go to them. You know, we're not flying for a ten table show. We're flying for some of the biggest and best shows in the country. So the big thing is just making the trip worthwhile. I enjoy going to shows and meeting people and networking and doing all that stuff. So if we can make it a, a productive trip, that's really my goal, but nothing super, super, super specific, really just more about, you know, it's expensive to travel. That's the big thing, right? You know, the Boston flights were outrageous, outrageous. So when I went out there, I filmed three episodes for that new series I was working on, uh, Collections, Card Shops, and Collectors. So I got to film three episodes out of out of that, filmed two days in Boston, filmed a Boston pickup show, bought a bunch of stuff. So it was really, uh, you know, we, we accomplished a lot out there. But that's the big thing, right, is I don't, we've got to be able to accomplish things when we go out there. There's no point in going and, you know, not getting anything done. So just got to be focused. Yeah, and, and we're gonna get into the the national a little bit, um, and I know you're preparing for that. But I want to talk specifically. I I was watching your uh, boss, one of the Boston show videos, and you know you picked up that one of one Tatis. Um, just like from your perspective, um, walking around at the show, like when you saw that card, I know uh, you you probably had your eyes on it a couple times. Was that something like what was it? Obviously, Tatis is super hot. What was it about? that card was it the opportunity the market like was is that something that you want to hold long term is that something you're looking to sell because you think his cards are popping off just like walk me through just kind of what you were thinking when you picked up that card yeah so the tatis uh was really a two-sided play one i don't have a ton of baseball baseball's not a sport i do a lot of i like tatis a lot i didn't get in on his some of his bowman chromes and stuff early like i should have so i like tatis big fan of like game used patches. So a game used patch auto, one of one of a top five, you know, if you, cause I think about it, we talked about this on card talk recently about you think of the five guys that have potential to be the face of baseball in the next couple of years, you would say Soto, Vlad, Acuna, Otani, and Tatis. I think Tatis is probably the most likely he's got to be up there. So a guy that has potential to be the face of baseball, one-on-one game used patch auto for 1700, you're not getting Luca or Mahomes for that price. So again, I, and I don't do a ton of baseball. And I also recognize that the national at that point was two weeks away. So, you know, my, my plan on that is throw it in my showcase and, you know, maybe somebody wants to trade for it. Maybe somebody wants to buy it, but if not, I'll take it back to Columbus and I'll set it on, you know, my wall and I'll enjoy the card. So it's one of those things that if I, if I sell it or trade it cool, but if not, I don't mind keeping it. And again, not having a ton of baseball, I think it's it's got potential in my showcase at the national. So that is my intention for it. No, I love it. And then, so I think you probably have a better pulse than anyone right now. Not only as a store owner, but someone who's been out and about at all of these shows. Like, what it what is your feedback to the audience just regarding like 
current market. We're going to get into the national because I know you're a veteran at the show, but like, wh- what were you feeling at the, those shows? Were you feeling like stuff was priced nicely based on the way you buy still stuff still priced aggressively? Like what's your general consensus right now on the market? Yeah. I mean, I think opportunity is there if you're willing to look for any, in at any show, right? Whether it's a 20 table show or 250 person show that there are opportunities if you're willing to look for them, the same can be said at all of the shows. There are the guys that have the big, big, big stuff, the one, the rare, unique, high end stuff that aren't looking to sell it at 75% of eBay. They're looking to maximize their money. They don't want to move stuff. They don't need the cash. You've got the, the retail group that, you know, rips a bunch of retail, sells a bunch of retail, doesn't really have, you know, even if it was a good deal, it's not something I'm super, super keen on buying a bunch of. Um, in terms of the singles. So it doesn't really do me much there. You've got, you know, a group of people that have the stuff most people want, the rookie QBs, the basketball stars, but they want 120% of eBay for it. That's really, that was what I saw a lot of. And I'll talk about it in my YouTube pickups, but that was really the group that I saw in Atlanta. Like I didn't have as much luck buying in Atlanta. We filmed a ton of content and the people at that show were awesome. Like I had an it was one of my best show experiences ever. So I, I truly enjoyed it, but I didn't spend a ton of money. I actually only bought two deals and a single card and I spent less than like 2,600 bucks. Now, mind you, we spent 10X on that in Dallas. So Dallas was full of opportunity. Like I bought 500 plus cards in Dallas. There were people in Dallas, like Dallas's attendance was, was down a little bit from what I've seen in the past. So I don't know if that led to more buying opportunity because foot traffic wasn't there and maybe dealers were worried. I don't think that was, at least for the guys I dealt with, I don't think that was a super big concern. But there are people I find at almost every show that are like, hey, I'm willing, if you're willing to spend cash and willing to buy a bunch of stuff, I don't mind working with you on price. And I don't, you know, I'm not trying to make a million dollars. I just don't want to pay 90% of eBay on everything. So there are people that I find that are super easy to deal with. And it's funny because most of them are card shops. It's actually uh, ironic. I've actually dealt with um, two of the guys I spent a lot of money with in Dallas were actually card shop owners. Just like cool stuff, right? I'll flip through like a random stack of stuff right here. That's just stuff I picked up. Like you got, you know, Reggie Jackson patch auto at a 10 or Dak Flawless at a two or this Kyler at a 14 or like a Mahomes patch or Big Ben Auto. I mean, I bought, again, there's probably 500 plus cards here. Super cool stuff that made sense. So yeah, I think there's opportunity everywhere if you're willing to look for it, right? Whether that be dollar boxes or showcases, there's opportunity. But yeah, I don't think attendance was as high as it was. I'm not sure as much money was going around the room as there might've been in the past. I think I would be naive to say that. While I might have had opportunity, uh, you know, I've heard from other dealers that, hey, I didn't do nearly as much money I did on some of the days as I've done before. And I was clearly able to see foot traffic was down. I think people are taking vacations and also slowing down for the national uh, as the market has slowed down in general. So, yeah, I'm not not overly concerned, but it's obviously not marched all over again. Yeah, I'd love uh, I'd love to maybe unpack a little bit just like what makes sense to you. I know. Uh, and consuming your content and, you know, listening to card talk, watching your YouTube videos. You know, one thing I know you preach all the time is dollar boxes, $5 boxes, $10 boxes. And 
um, getting at the shows and, and digging through those and finding opportunities. So I, I'd love, I know a lot of people will go into the national and just be, you know, focused in on the showcases, big do- high dollar cards, cards that they can flip cards that they want to keep in their collection for a while. Um, but maybe like when, when, why dollar boxes, why $5 boxes, like doing the work, what are you looking at? Like what qualities of cards are you looking at when you, uh, you know, pull those? Yeah, my big, my big reasoning, I've always said this, uh, like the big reasoning on dollar boxes, $5 stuff, $10 stuff, like the value boxes, is that's the stuff, if you think about it in order of operations for what a dealer would adjust, right? I'm a card store owner. I've been going to card shows for 15 years. This is my livelihood and I'm very, very into it. If you think about it, that's the last thing people would touch. Like, the dealers are updating their showcases with their, you know, messy PSA 10s and their, their Juan Soto autos, right? Like those are the cards that you're checking when you're comping things out before a show. You're not as likely to go through a $5 box or a dollar box or $10 box, just because especially if you're a dealer setting up with multiples of that stuff, volume, right? That's just, it takes so much time. And with the volatility of the market and things changing so much, like just think about it during football season, right? Guys have big weeks and not great weeks. Right. So, you know, it it happens every week. So when a guy blows up, if Jacob Eason, like I found this in a $10 box and I talk about my YouTube videos, um, ended up averaging about six to seven bucks a card on most of these that were in the $10 box. Like if Jacob Eason has one good game, I'm looking for through my showcases for Jacob Eason. I might not check the five or $10 box where some of this kind of stuff may be sitting where less risk to get in and more potential upside for it. So like I bought that, this was in a $10 box again, averaging like a six, $7 investment, you know, bull bull, uh, you know, it's got Terry McLaurin on it, but the patch is sick from flawless. Got this Metcalf rookie patch at a 25. I mean, this is a, again, was it marked to 10? I bought it for six or seven. It's probably a $40 card, right? So my, my whole like theory on some of this kind of stuff is, you know, not everybody can't afford the big, big stuff. And this is the kind of knowledge I wish I had when I was younger. If I would have learned this stuff five, 10 years earlier, then, you know, I got it. It might've helped me. Um, because again, while buying the Aaron Rodgers auto or Tom Brady auto or Mahomes auto, that stuff's really cool. It's not always, you know, accessible to every card collector, but you could teach someone that, Hey, with $10, you could go into a show and double your money. Right. And then leave. And then next time you've got $20 and you can do it and you can repeat, right? This doesn't happen overnight, but if you start with 10, you can work your way up with just a little bit of money if you're willing to put in the work. Right. So that's, that's why ones, tens, fives is really what I like. I enjoy looking at. Yeah. And I think like what makes that, you know, everyone's Instagram feeds and, and everyone's stories are the big splashes. Sure. Big cards that are selling. And I feel like new people coming in, everyone gravitates to those stories and they fit, they try to figure out, well, how can I level up and get, get to that space when people should probably just start by digging in the dollar boxes and find stuff that makes you happy. So that's what I, that's what I love about that. And do you think like, just from being a store owner, like you seeing people in and out every day, having conversations, like that knowledge you have just being in it and that seeing those interactions help has helped inform you over the years on like smart decision-making when you're like at these bigger or better shows. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it, what it is. If it's like one thing in particular, I think a lot of what I've learned has been through conversation or through deal-making 
but so much of it has been like selling through eBay. Like, you know, I remember back in the day I won a contest and won a random lot of baseball cards and it had a matting, it had a Don Mattingly son at a one-on-one printing plate. And I auctioned it at the time just to raise some money because I was like, I don't want this. And it sold for like $300, right? Or I know that over the years that Iowa Hawkeyes cool patches have sold very well for me. Just Iowa in general sells well. Like things people wouldn't think about, you just, that's really just goes back to the whole point about like you said with the Instagram feeds, like this isn't overnight. Like this wasn't something I learned yesterday and just magically got all this information. These are things out of for 15 years, I've been able to accumulate um, and just put into put into play on a you know a weekly or monthly basis. So like things like that again, it's just like no different than learning how to shoot free throws. Repetition is key, and the more you do it, the more you you know you learn and can apply that for the next time. For sure. And now I know you talk about on Card Talk with the guys a lot about making plays. Obviously, you just made a big play recently and <laughs> moving into a, a new location. I don't get the opportunity much to talk to card store owners. So I just love to, to get your mind, to understand your mindset regarding like you had a store. Now you're in a new location. Like what were the reasons why, and what kind of afforded you to, to make that jump? Yeah. So we basically moved right across the street. The space we had was about 550 square feet. The space we're in now is about 3,000 total square feet. It's two stories. Basically, the upstairs is the retail. Downstairs will be for offices. I mean, the, the first space we have didn't have air conditioning. I mean, there was a lot of things. We just outgrew it, right? Like when I bought this store, I bought it from the guy that was in business for 19 years and had already paid the lease for the next 12 months. So when I bought it, it was really like, hey, this is a trial run. I went it, I bought it by myself, right? I didn't have any partners, anything like that. and uh, there was no real financial commitment. It was just, it was cash up front to buy the business, including the allocation. And if it didn't work out, oh, well, right. We, we, we learned and got to, you know, run a car store for 12 months. And then at the end, we, were, we had no financial obligation to continue. And it worked. It was going well. Things were going, you know, great. And then the pandemic happened. And the pandemic was really what, like, you know, you're forced to sell online at that point because we were closed for a day shy of two months. And I had an Instagram following and we had run breaks before. So that was really like our, hey, we should go online, start selling, do breaks again because we need to be able to generate capital. New products still coming out. I got to be able to pay for it somehow. Didn't have, you know, unlimited money. Got to go break. So we went to break and we saw like, I mean, we were breaking almost every day it was you know people were at home with nowhere to go nothing to do and they're getting you know stimulus checks people were looking to spend money and every day we're breaking i'm like this is crazy why didn't we do this earlier um and you know that led us to our first hire you know dustin who's one of my one of my key employees now um he's been with me since really the you know covid we opened up post covid um and you know he's super young and uh, that was, like I said, that was my first hire and we didn't know really what he was going to do at the time. And it's just, it's been amazing, but you know, once Dustin hired and he could do a little bit more in store, it's like, okay, well, what if we could do grading, right? Cause we want to grade cards. And then that led to more hires and then, okay, well, what about breaks? Right. And then what about somebody else to help in the shop? And, you know, here we are and as it grew and grew and grew and grew. We're like, Hey, we don't have a place to put all these people. We're doing grading. We're doing breaks. We're doing all this stuff. 550 square feet doesn't work. 
that leads to offices, that leads to new buildings, that leads to additional opportunities. So as we've been able to grow with, with the card market, we've been able to have opportunities to be able to purchase, you know, the building and, and move the operations across the street. So that's what we did. Yeah. Awesome. And I've been, uh, I've been following along in the trade nights and stuff. The store looks cool. Definitely need to uh, make a pit stop next time. Mm -hmm. I'm in Ohio. We're going to get to the trade night at the national. I know that's something I want to dig into a little bit, but before we get there, you, you mentioned like Instagram following online presence. I know you're someone who was like one of the first like card people on IG. And I think so often like people jump into the hobby and everyone like is looking to grab these, you know, big accounts, big followers, but maybe don't understand like the, the effort and work that goes into building that following. And I know like just through your activity on IG, your content, like that's something just from me as a marketer is something I view you at and I appreciate because I know the work and effort you're putting into it. But like maybe rewind the tape all the way back to like the beginning of like you jumping on IG and being like, all right, this could be something that I can connect with people on cards. Like what what were you thinking? And like, what, what, what did the opportunity look like for you in the early days? Yeah. So originally the whole idea was I needed a place to, to store photos because photo bucket was starting to charge. And I was just, you know, young kid hustling, trying to make a buck. And I was like, I would rather not pay $5 a month for something I may or may not use if there's a free option. Right. So I was, it's funny, back in the day, I was super, like, super quiet and didn't like taking pictures of myself. I mean, I still really don't enjoy it as much, but like sitting there taking selfies and posting those on Instagram for the world to see wasn't my thing. So I never really used Instagram, but I knew what it was capable of. And this is early social media. So I was like, well, let's just start there. So I remember getting on there. It was like 2013. I remember posting like Le'Veon Bell and Giovanni Bernard, rookie patch autos. And, and I posted them and I do, you know, hashtag sports cards and stuff like that. And, you know, next thing you know, it just, you get to 50 followers and then a hundred followers. So it's like, okay, whatever. Not really thinking much of it. Cause I was just using the link to post in my blowout bio. And then just continue to post. And one thing led to another and I had a thousand followers. So I'm like, that, that's crazy, right? Like a thousand followers. That's wild. Like, I wonder what this could be. And just over the years, I was, I just got more comfortable on the app, made some great friends, right? Jimmy, Kentucky basketball cards. One of the people in the world I'm closest with, we met through that app. It's kind of crazy. I've told the story very, very, very few times ever, actually. But Jimmy, I actually met Jimmy on the day I lost another friend in a car accident. We actually started connecting about a Julius Randall Immaculate Premium Patch Auto. I went to pick it up from a gentleman across town um, and posted it on Instagram. And as I was driving home, got the call that I had lost a friend in a car accident the night before. I still to this day, like it like gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Like that one person was taken out of my life and another person of such you know significance was added to my life. Um, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy was in my wedding, right? Like Jimmy and I are very close. He's one of, like I said, one of the people I'm really, really closest to. And it was just crazy. So as I met Jimmy and I got more comfortable on the app, like I posted pictures of Regina and I, and my wife and, you know, got dogs and went to college and graduated college and um, just did so many things. And that was, you know, I think that's what allowed me to grow so early as I was just 
so willing to share so much of my life, right? I mean, I started school on that app. I graduated school on that app, got engaged on that app, started dating when I was on that app. Like I started, you know, I got married, all, all of those things, like so much of my life has been on that app. So it started as a place to, you know, post pictures for free and, you know, use it to trade online and then turned into crazy, crazy, uh, adventure. That's that. I appreciate you sharing, uh, that story. And I think, uh, you know, the thing I, biggest thing I take away from that is just like the openness, honesty, and authenticity that I think you have built your brand with help through that app. And then also just like you mentioned, Jimmy, like it's incredible the amount of relationships and key relationships inside and outside of cards that can happen, happen when you're thinking about using Instagram the right way. Um, so I love that. Um, let's hop over to the national. Let's close out with the national. Let's talk about trade night, uh, right out of the gates. So I know, uh, you and Jimmy, I know you did an IG live yesterday um, regarding it, but for anyone who's listening, who didn't get a chance to listen to that, who might be going to the national, give the rundown on maybe like, what's the background on trade night? And then like, what can people expect this time around? Yeah. So Jimmy and I met the first time ever at trade uh, at the national. That was the first place we met in Chicago of 14. And uh, when we met there, we, you know, you see in the hotel lobby, just people, did, you know, chilling and trading. And it was, it was for sure Jimmy's idea, right? I just remember going to Carolina in the mountains and we were sitting there one day and he's like, and all these people on the floor at, at the hotel, like, what if we could create a room where you could come and trade and meet the people you got to interact with on a daily basis for 360 days a year and we'd pay for it and have some drinks and some snacks, right? I'm like, that sounds cool. I just, you know, do you think anybody would come? And he's like, oh yeah, I think so. Right. If you build it, they will come. So sure enough, we did it in Atlantic city. Uh, first year, uh, Jimmy paid for like three nights at this hotel, um, had like crack, like baseball style food, like pretzels and Cracker Jack and popcorn and drinks. Um, and like the first night it was Jimmy, me, a few other people. I bet 10 people came the first hour and I was like, dude, I'm not sure people are going to, you know, come to this. And by the end of the night, we had 30 people there. And then the next night I got a little bit more word and there's probably 50 people. And I think by the third night, there was about a hundred. Um, so Jimmy basically put it on for the first two years, same type thing. Second, after Atlantic city was Chicago packed this small 400 square foot room. If that packed it, people were on the floor or whatever. And then Jimmy got a job the next year that didn't allow him to basically be at the national. Um, so that's when I took it over and ran it in Cleveland at a little uh, light rec hall. And that, it, my, you know, Jimmy was paid for it all out of pocket at, at the time. And I just, my finances were very different. And my, my kind of thought process was like, this is when my Instagram following was starting to get a little bit bigger. But I was like, hey, this is for the hobby, right? This is meant to be good. I have a good amount of following on here that is a decent amount of attention that some of these companies would probably be willing to pay for. What if we were like, Hey, donate some prizes, donate some money. We'll fund the, you know, help fund the event, give away some prizes to people that are willing to come and we'll get to host it. Right. I'll just use my platform as an attention for those, those companies. And it was, you know, a huge hit, right. Um, just continuing to build off what Jimmy had built. And then I ran it in Chicago the next year, which is 2019, the last time we ran it. 
It's actually in the same spot it's in now. It's the Hyatt Regency O'Hare International Ballroom, which is directly right next door to the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont. Um, it was like, uh, at the time it was 11,000 square feet and we had over 1100 people show up and food, drinks, giveaways, prizes, bunch of sponsors. And it, it was great, right? It was, it was huge. I posted videos before my story. It was a blast. And yeah, it just turned into something so crazy out of a conversation in the mountains in North Carolina one day. So yeah, it's, it's wild what it has turned into. So, uh, what's the expectation on attendees, uh, this year? Like, what, what are you thinking? How, how many people are showing up? <laughs> I'm not sure I want to speak a number into existence. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. Right. Like if you told me 500 people show up, I would be extremely grateful. Could thousands of people show up? Absolutely. Right. I, I'm not naive to think a lot of people won't show up. Yeah, somebody said, you know, what are you going to do if too many people show up? I don't know, right? It's a, it's a good problem to have. Um, obviously, want to be able to, you know, entertain as many people as possible. Don't want to get it shut down, right? Just trying to do the best we can with the, the circumstances we had. We only had about 30 days to plan this. We started this in the middle of June. We've had conversations with the National. Hopefully, in, in the future, we'll be able to, you know, kind of include it in their plans, where there's a little bit more space. That's kind of our long-term plans or long-term goals, I think. But I think at the moment, it's just come and have as, uh, you know, have a good time and we'll do our best to have as many seats and spaces for people to come hang out and meet the people you interact with on a daily basis. PJ Washington is going to sign. I don't know if, if you know, if any of the listeners did not see that PJ Washington Lottery pick for the Charlotte Hornets, former Kentucky Wildcat, will be there signing autographs for free. Um, we were, Jimmy was able to set that up. We'll have a little bit of food, a little bit of drink. And Sports Card Investor was one of the few sponsors that we had at the event. They're going to be there hopefully live streaming it. You know, Loop was gracious enough to, to help as well. And then obviously our good friends at Panini, who have been a big part of this for multiple years now, they were really the ones that uh were were able to help us get a lot of it done too so yeah it should be uh it should be a couple hours of, of a lot of fun awesome and uh before i jump off the the trade night topic i gotta find it like what's the craziest trade that's ever gone down in trade night like what's what what's a story you can share um so honestly when you're at like since i've like run it for a couple years now i, I i'm not making trades right so it's it's more like talking to people, learning about their experience. Like uh, there's one gentleman, I always forget his name. Um, I'm not very good at that, but I remember him coming from like Australia or somewhere across the country and like collects Tony Kukoc and like found somebody there that also collected them and was willing to move some of them. And they made a big trade. I know Jimmy has made some big trades at trade night before Giannis NT Russell Westbrook tops, Chrome auto red, like Jimmy's made some big, some big trades. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great time. There's just, if you've seen the, I'll try to post it in my story. I'll try to send you the video too. But if you've seen the video from Chicago 2019, I mean, everywhere you look, there's somebody wheeling and dealing. It's just, it's, it's crazy how far it's come, but it's, it's really a, an, a testament to, to Jimmy and the work he, you know, his idea from five years ago, because it's, it's turned into something six years ago. It's turned into something super crazy. That's, that's amazing. Shout out Kentucky basketball cards. Um, Let's close with this. And I know there's been a ton of content out there. You've put content out. So many other people put content out. But 
I'd love for you just hit the high level highlights to close it out about people going to the national first time. Like what are like the three bullets of things that um, people should know based on your experience of going to the show for a decade plus? Um, Three bullet points. Uh, the big one, the number one thing I would recommend. So if you're listening to this podcast, right. And you're, you're interested in, um, you know, the social aspect of cards, make time for the people, right. That's a big thing. I've always said it. I remember more people I've met, this is going to sound grammatically incorrect, but I've, uh, I remember the people I've met a lot more than the cards I've purchased. So you just never know who you'll meet or the stories you'll be able to tell afterwards you'll be able to tell those far more than the cards you've purchased. I can remember, you know, ripping 500 silver packs in the hotel with some, some great friends or meeting my buddy, Tony for the first time or meeting Jimmy for the first time or going to the VIP party in soldier field or going to the VIP party in Atlantic city in a club that's thousand, 1500, 2000 square feet, whatever it was super small and taking a picture with Reggie Jackson and, uh, Scotty Pippen and then ripping gold packs on the floor with Jimmy. It's just like so many crazy things, but make time for people. That would be a big piece of advice. But number two would probably be to take it all in. It's super overwhelming. I've been 10 years and you walk in and there's just, you can't explain to somebody how crazy it is until you experience it yourself for the first time. I've heard the requirement to host the nationals 500,000 continuous square feet. These aren't small buildings. These are massive. And you walk in and anyone and everyone in the card space is there selling something. There's so much to do, so much to see. And it's overwhelming. Take a deep breath. Enjoy it, right? It just, I talked about on Card Talk. A year ago, we didn't have it. So don't rush, you know, don't run around like a chicken with your head cut off, scrambling all over the place. Take a deep breath, have a game plan and, uh, and enjoy everything. The third and final thing, go to trade night. So I love so. the plug. You're you're a true marketer, Ryan. Uh, yeah, I just will, will you will you have a booth at the show? Yeah, it will be set up uh, booth three thirty five. Three thirty five. Tons uh, tons of knowledge there. Trade night. Everybody check it out. Ryan, this was great. Everyone check out Card Talk. Check out Ryan's uh, YouTube channel. Um, this was fun, man. I'll stop by the booth at the national and, and say, what's up. I appreciate you making some time. I know you got a busy schedule. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me. Man, that was fun. Long time coming there. I am honored. Ryan could make some time in his busy schedule, jumping all over the United States. Are you going to Chicago? Go check out trade night. Go check out all of Ryan's content. I'm sure you already. Are, but if you're not, hit that follow button on Card Collector 2's IG. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. I'll be back next week with more Stacking Slabs. National Week. National Week.